So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. What's up, everybody? I've got Grant Gillespie with Viking Armament, and uh, I guess, uh, Grant, you do all kinds of stuff, but Viking Armament, for people that don't know, that's who built my rifle, Thor, the one that that I use, and then multiple rifles for people in the company. Um, And then you also... um, you know, guy, you, you also guide quite a bit. You've got a crazy ass brother that does the same thing, but, uh, what's going on, dude, <laughs> man, just, uh, do it, doing the daily deal here, kicking off our day at the shop. Um, I've also got our gunsmith, Jeremiah Greenfield with us. And, uh, it's just been crazy. This time of year is, is totally hectic. Um, all of us here in the shop, as far as, uh, as far as the rifle builds themselves go, everybody kind of decides that, Hey, I drew a tag or I'm going on this hunt and, uh, it's time to gear up with a new rifle or get theirs tuned up and taken care of. And then, uh, every year, this time of year, it seems like the bug really comes around and hits myself and my brother and all the guys here in the shop, as far as getting our own hunts fired up for the year. Um, and obviously I'm sure you guys are in the same boat over there, ramming and jamming with, uh, with gear and getting stuff rocking and rolling for people's hunt. Yeah, it's been crazy busy. Um, I, I'm I'm actually getting ready to leave for. I'm going to be up in BC for five weeks, so I leave Friday um, for that, and then uh, back like the first part of September, and then Anders and yeah, there's all kind of Anders and Dan are going on a caribou hunt, and you know you know how it is whatever. It's the time of year you get in trouble because people are pissed because uh, you're gone hunting because um, half the company hunts right, so uh, you, you're in the same exactly. boat. <laughs> that's what it's funny that you mentioned that because we're, you know, we're to the point with growth in the company, we're hiring on, you know, more employees. It's, that's one of the, the first things that we look at when considering an employee is like, all right, what's this guy do for hobbies? Because every, every one of us, um, I mean, same thing, it's all hunting between, you know, myself and the other guys here in the shop and Jeremiah, our gunsmith and um, Jeremiah's got, four kids and his wife that are all they're all bit by the bug too so he's he's got a little bit more hunting to do than normal <laughs> yeah oh yeah um well yeah the one one of the things you know when i asked you to hop on uh i just i get a ton of questions about that rifle that i have um you recently had another build um a six millimeter arc that you had built up for me and then you know we pimp out obviously for we we all have your gun so I, I get a lot of questions about the build calibers things like that and and as you know like i'm i'm not a gun guy right i i do shoot especially wounded out dad a lot with that rifle um <laughs> And I, you know, but the, the caliber thing, you guys, you built me a 6.5 PRC. It's put down everything I've ever shot at, but I am not as geeked up on things as, as you are and others. And that's number one question when somebody asks is, is what caliber, what do I need for this, this, and this animal? And then the next one is bear protection for pistols and things like that. So t- talk about that a little bit yeah. as far as builds, things like that, calibers. For sure. Yeah. So, um, obviously, you know, your build is our first generation apex. It's in 6.5 PRC and uh 20 inch barrel carbon barrel with a, uh, three port muzzle brake. And, uh, 
as far as as far as your build itself goes, the only thing that's really changed since then for us um, is just a couple features on the chassis. Which um, again, we teamed up with the guys over at XLR Industries. They're running all of our chassis for us. Um, we do have our own chassis line. Um, we have multiple configurations now from those guys. Um, the the main differences are going to be the integrated Arca rail on the newer chassis and also the integrated bubble level um, and just just a few other little features here and there but those are going to be the main features and also the, um, the the new hunter trigger guard that xlr came out with we had some people dropping mags and, and just having a little magazine rattle um, but since that new trigger guard came out we've completely eliminated that and it it seems to be a super nice system um, as far as caliber goes um, again, very common argument, obviously, you know, that 6.5 we built for you, every time I call you and I'm like, yo, Snyder, let's get you in the new rifle, you're like, dude, as soon as this thing starts, stops killing everything I pointed at, maybe I'll consider it, but right now this thing's lucky because it seems like you've killed just all sorts of shit with that thing. Yeah, it's actually, and, uh, it's it's weird, and I don't want to interrupt for, for too much, but it when I say it's weird, the way that that rifle fits me specifically shooting offhand which is extremely important yep. for me. I'm not a bench rest guy and I don't get in the prone off. And, and then that Arca uh, rail, like it's the same as a pick rail, but the Arca rail, like Arca Swiss, which is what I have on all my, like the base of a spotting scope from Swarovski is an Arca plate uh, without attaching a plate. Right. And then my camera gear, I have that. So when I have my ball head for photography, it's the same tripod that gets thrown in the back of the Can-Am and we can mount Thor on top of that. And then, you know, just that entire setup is is great. And I mean, I, I've i never cleaned that fucking gun, not one time. And yeah. that's not something to be proud of, but we shot it out to 800 yards when I after I shot that red sheep. And it was on out to 800 and it rides in the back of the Can-Am and gets the shit beat out of it and it is never off. And so it's, I'm kind of a chicken shit to change, honestly. So. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, when it works, it works. And it's, you know, it's still, as far as the rifle, rifle configuration running, obviously with the folding adapter, um, it helps big time. And, you know, the, the cleaning thing is a very common question we get asked all the time also on hey guys, you know, I got this rifle from you. What's my break-in period look like? What's my cleaning regimen look like? Um, and they're both very minimal. All the barrels, you know, all the newer barrels that are out there as far as a break-in period, it's going to be very, very minimal. Um, and cleaning, you know, our gunsmith will preach all day, especially in the smaller stuff. Um, don't clean until you see an accuracy decrease. I tell guys, I tell customers all the time, obviously, unless it's due to environmental factors, um, don't clean your rifle. And I know it, it's kind of funny. I asked you, uh, one day I'm like, yo, Snyder, have you, have you cleaned your rifle yet? And, and you're like, man, I, honestly, the wind, when we were hunting, I'd had the wind picked up really hard and it kind of blew it off a little bit. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it, your rifle is still, I mean, unbelievably accurate. There's, you know, we, we've built rifles for competition guys shooting smaller stuff. I mean, even like six fives and, and sixes and stuff that they'll burn through an entire barrel before they clean their gun. Um, and, you know, obviously they won't clean their gun because they burn through the whole barrel. Um, so, you know, the cleaning thing is huge as far as, as Jeremiah always preaches that the rifling in that barrel was not meant to have something aside from a bullet 
ran down it repeatedly. Um, and, you know, as far as is cleaning processes, even when we do clean, it's, it's very meticulous and it's not, it's not nearly as overthought as a lot of people think it is. So, yeah. um, yeah, I kind of just looked at it like once the accuracy goes down, I'll look at cleaning it. But until then it just didn't, it didn't matter. But, um, you know, on that, that stock that I have, um, you know, on mine, it's, it's a folding stock, which is super handy, especially when I'm using it as a, as a guide gun. Um, but you offer more than just that, that one option. I mean, you have a, a few different ones. Correct. So, yeah, um, one of the, one of the new chassis that we're really excited about is our muzzleloader chassis. Uh, the muzzleloader chassis is still going to be the same modular style design. It's actually a Remington 700 style inlet in a short action. Um, so the only difference between our apex chassis, um, and the, the muzzleloader chassis, which our apex chassis is going to be XLR's element 4.0. It's the same style. Um, the only difference between those two chassis models is the muzzleloader chassis has an extrusion in the front of the chassis block for a ramrod. Um, and then we have a ramrod retainer and we have a little magazine box. It's a little hollow magazine box and that we're calling the Gary mag because Garrett, my brother came up with it. Um, but it's just a little, little hollow design that you can store some extra primers and powder in there. Um, but it's, it's super cool because you can take your muzzle or barreled action out of the chassis and actually put in, you know, say a, a 6.5 PRC barreled action or whatever, whatever short action barreled action that you want to run. Um, obviously the chassis are getting so dang pricey and just everything that's coming out between the materials, you know, the magnesium and the carbon and it's pretty pricey material. So being able to utilize that chassis um, for both, cause there's, you know, there's a lot of guys that rifle hunt every year, but only muzzle and hunt every once in a while. And typically the seasons don't overlap. Um, so it, you know, it can save you that 16 or 1700 bucks in the complete chassis configuration, being able to, swap those out and change barreled actions. Um, another, uh, you know, another chassis design that we have is called our Roadrunner chassis. Um, again, it's XLR's Atom chassis. Um, the only difference between the Roadrunner and the Apex is a shorter forend. Um, the guys over at XLR just shrink it down to try to eliminate a little bit of size and weight. Um, and it for sure does eliminate size. Um, weight is very, very minimal in the, in the difference, the fore end of that chassis block is just, it's made out of magnesium. So the, the, the main weight is in the actual block itself by the magwell. So it, it is very minimal in weight savings. Um, so that, you know, I just touch on that because that's a question I get asked a lot. And also a question I get asked a lot is which one should I go with um, between the Roadrunner and the Apex? I always kind of, base it off of barrel length and of course caliber. The majority of the Roadrunner builds that we're doing are 22 inches and under um, and carbon. We can do steel off of them. It just gets a little bit out of balance off the end of the chassis there. And again, depending on the steel, um, you know, if, it, if it's a heavy, heavy contour, solid steel barrel, yeah, it gets way out of balance. If it's a lighter contour, you know, steel fluted barrel, it's not much of a change, but uh, 22 inches, kind of the max length we go on those road runners and the apex is apex is still by far our most popular seller. We're doing it in all sorts of calibers, colors, configurations. Um, the bare bones apex obviously starts off of that apex chassis 
and uh, it's got a trigger tech special trigger in it, um, either a lone peak arms or where we've been using some, some defiance. We can use other actions if uh, a customer has a, has a preference on it, but our bare bones build is built off of a lone peak, um, either the razor or the fusion. We can do them in stainless and titanium configurations and then uh, carbon barrel, anything from 16 and a half to 26 inches muzzle brake, uh, three to a five port brake. And then, I mean, we we're building them as turnkey as customers are wanting all the way from, you know, load development, optics, shoot two turrets, custom cut Pelican cases, Atlas by, um, just to where it's a, it's a rifle that, you know, you can get out of the case and turnkey start banging away at it. We, uh, we recently built three, uh, three rifles, road runners for Chad, um, and some of his guys over there, Chad Shumway, and he called me and he's like, dude, he's like, we were at the range with all these guys that have all their rigs and they think they're all cool. And one of his main employees, Rochelle, he's like, Rochelle just busted that rifle out of the case. First time out of the case that just started begging away and smoking everybody with that thing. And it was a 20 inch road runner, 6.5 PRC, but full turnkey build, you know, shoot two turret to where she could just take it out of the case and dial it up and start hammering stuff with it. So, yeah, no, Chad was really impressed. And, you know, obviously we get to use a lot of different, you know, rifles and have, um, you know, people introduce, you know, different manufacturers, you know, talk to us about using rifles or whatever. And, and me, you know, just the way that I am, and there's a ton of good, you know, rifle manufacturers out there is what you built me and what you offer. It just fits when I say it fits. It's not really heavy. It's not ultra light. It's like that perfect weight. It's very maneuverable with folding stock um, and extremely accurate, obviously. So, you know, I get that because I looking through like whether it be Savage or Weatherby or whatever, you're looking, I don't know, anywhere from a grand up to, you know, a couple grand for kind of the, I don't know what you would call that, the off the shelf. Just a factory. Yeah, factory yeah. build. Um mm, which that, I mean, that's viable, right? I mean, people, yeah, I mean, I get it. Like people have hunted with those forever. The biggest difference I've seen, you know, personally, when you look at like something from, from Savage and Savage makes a great gun. I don't, I'm not down. I'm not blasting Savage. This is not that. Um, and you know, Weatherby or whatever. Um, I, I just did not see the long term accuracy and durability and it wasn't as clean. Uh, and when I say clean, obviously trigger pull. And I'm not a gun guy. So for me, I'm looking at this from a guy that grabs his gun and puts shit on the ground. I don't get geeked out on lot, super long range. I just want it accurate. Um, talk about that, though, the differences. Like you said, you can do full custom turnkey. Uh, th like, that's a big question I get. You have the defiance or bat actions. What are the difference in those? Like, what are you getting out of that? So as far as the actions themselves go, um, the guys in the, in the high end precision action market, I mean, it's, it's getting to the point where it's, it's a pretty common argument of like, you know, buying a new Chevy or Dodge or a Ford, like everything, the technology's there, the equipment, the machinery, everything is there to where everyone can make a lights out precision style action. Um, so for us really, like between those high ends, like you just said, you know, bat and lone peak and define thermat, all the, all the stuff like the heavy hitters out there, it's kind of came down to a customer service base for us um, to where 
Mike and Brian over at Lone Peak, the reason we run them the most, not only do they have a phenomenal product, but from a customer service base dealing with us directly, they've been absolutely phenomenal. Um, so I know Defiance, obviously recently, everybody kind of heard the stir about them upping their prices, getting bought out. Um, their prices definitely did get very outrageous at one point. We still are building off of some of them. Um, you know, I, I have a personal build off of a Defiance Anti-X. I love it. And it's a, a great action. Um, but, you know, it comes down to kind of availability and price point. Um, one big thing, why we moved the amount of rifles that we're moving and, and you know, why why customers, I feel like it's it's definitely a part of when they do consider getting a custom build made is a lot of people are like you and I that when they get their mindset on something, they want it and, and they don't want to wait a year to get it. Um, so we, we've kind of, we've kind of found that happy medium between getting customers taken care of quicker, um, but also getting them that super custom feel that they would like. Um, and, you know, that's, that's our main goal is just to create a rifle for somebody that tailors their needs exactly to what they're doing. And, um, you know, the first question I ask everybody before I discuss configuration, anything like that, the first question that I ask people is, all right, what's your application? What are you doing with it? Where do you plan on hunting? And just kind of get, get a base bone of their, their hunting style and then tell them, all right, this is, you know, this is what I would recommend. This is what I feel like would suit your needs the best. Um, so it, as far as, you know, back to the, back to the action and component thing, there's, there's certain components that we have locked down um, that we work with most in the industry. Obviously, you know, a huge factor is the components being very precise, precision lights out components but also the customer service space from all the guys that we're dealing with guys and gals in, in those companies from, from Nick over at Hawkins to, you know, the, the, obviously the guys over at XLR, we do a bunch with them. Um, Jeremiah and X, Jeremiah and I are actually going to beat those guys at golf again, um, on Thursday, <laughs> but, uh, we, we, we do a bunch with those boys. Um, Mike over at Hell's Canyon has been phenomenal for us on the barrels where, Pile of his barrels, he's been he's been great. Nathan over at Muzzle Breaks of More has been great with us. Um, and then you know, we do bounce around with a couple other couple other good buddies that are in the industry. Um, we get a pile of components from our buddy Ryan Pierce out of Iowa, and uh, you know it, it's just it's been fun to create create good relationships with all the guys in the industry that we that we work a bunch with, and then have some you know a pretty solid local crew here too that helps us if we get if we get backlogged and ran down and, and uh, just a really solid group of people to bounce stuff off of. So, you know, going back to the, the caliber um, and I kind of figured your answer with the, the actions would be what you gave me. Cause you know, again, me not being a geeked out gun guy, um, you know, I look at it when people get into archery and I, you know, I go off the deep end of what they want and they don't understand half the shit I'm saying. And they're like, I just wanted to hit what I'm aiming at. And, and, and so I get it on the, you know, same thing for me on the gun side. I, I have a base level of knowledge. And after that, I just want it to be accurate. And it seemed like on the higher end actions, it's more of just personal preference relationship. And like you said, customer, customer service. Um, 
so, but the caliber is also kind of like that. Um, I base this off of just me with hunting with buddies, but also guiding and what caliber I've seen and what damage it does. Like, I'll be the first one to say, I do not like a six, five Creedmoor. Um, I'm sure it's a great mule deer and sheep gun. I've seen that bucking caliber wound more shit on my watch than any other caliber. And I, that's me personally. And you probably sell a shitload of six, five Creedmoors. And that, you know, I see memes about them. It, it's just for me and our dad specifically like to live. And, 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 and I've, I've seen them take two or three, two or three, six, five PRC, uh, or excuse me, two or three, six, five Creedmoor rounds and do fairly well after that. Which is weird yeah. because the, the the PRC and the, the Creedmoor aren't that much different, but they're different. So right. like just base numbers, but then you don't also want to be, you know, firing a, you know, whatever, 338 Lapua at a deer. You know, there's a happy medium and a caliber has to fit what oh, you're yeah. going after. So talk about that, though. Yeah. Yeah. So with everything, you know, uh, obviously the, the bigger the caliber and the more knockdown, the more leadway you have for shooting something in the guts. Um you know, whatever. We just had Aaron and Eli went to the Arctic Circle and they killed some walruses uh, last week. And they took Aaron's six five, or excuse me, Eli's six five PRC Roadrunner. It's an eighteen inch. He was shooting factory one forty seven ammo. And they show up and the dudes there are like, "There's no way you're killing an animal with this because for one, the gun looks super small, ultra light. Compact. Oh, it's probably not a three seven five or something like that. So they immediately start questioning him." They they sit down to make sure the rifles are were sighted in after after flying and the travel and Eli put two shots in the same hole at 100 yards and um, long story short they went out and he shot his walrus right at the base of the head and the back of the neck and dumped him like a sack of bricks and uh, Aaron followed up with his walrus and he had to shoot him two times in the neck but regardless killed him deader than heck. Uh, and, you know, even us in Alaska, up at the Dillinger, we have a pile of clients that ask us about caliber, caliber restrictions. Um, there, we, at the, the icy base stuff that we have going on in Alaska is a little bit different when guys are coming up to hunt specifically brown bear. Um, we recommend a little bit larger caliber, which we did have one of our clients that we built a 6.5 PRC for two years ago, kill a brown bear with a 6.5 PRC. Again, 147 ELD match you know, with a nine and a half foot bear hammered him. Um, but in Alaska, we've killed a pile of moose with a six, five. Um, but we do love the bigger calibers and there's so many cool calibers out there now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm personally running a 300 WSM. It's not the fastest and biggest and flattest 30 cal out there, but it's unbelievably accurate. It's, it's very easy. Um, you know, it's Jeremiah's, favorite caliber he he absolutely loves the wsm throws when he used to have the outfit in africa you know he culled hundreds of animals on top of all the animals that he was killing with clients and his go-to caliber was a 300 wsm um jeremiah right now is uh running a uh 300 norma improved and it's a cannon it's i mean it's a cross canyon boomer it's something that he can lay down and, and be killing elk over a thousand yards with not, no problem. He's got a lot of time in low development. Um, and what are you running? It's uh 208 green burger at 3180. So it's, it's a beast. Um, 
but I mean, I mean, as far as all the other calibers, we've been doing a pile of seven PRCs. The people are loving the seven PRC, and you know, honestly, we are too. It's not. I don't feel like the hype is exactly there as much as they wanted the seven PRC to be. There's a lot of other comparable sevens um, that beat the seven PRC. Um, and we're still doing a lot of seven psalms. The seven psalms is a great round. You have the capability of running it off of a short action, um, whereas, you know, the seven PRC, you have to run it off of a long action. Um, it is a really good round, though. We've, we've been doing a bunch of them. And probably our two most popular calibers are still the 6.5 PRC and 300 PRC. Um, they're easy. They love factory ammo. They love 90% of the hand loads you put through them. And they're. That is not very professional. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they're very easy. And um, we're still doing another caliber we love still is the 300 Win Mag. The 300 Win Mag, again, I would put it in the same categories that 300 WSM. It's, there's bigger stuff, there's flatter, faster stuff, but it's just a hammer. It's, it's very consistent. Um, and one thing that we tell clients every day about the 300 Win Mag is if you're going to be traveling the world and you're going to be dinking around hunting animals all over with this rifle, 300 Win Mag is something that's on the shelf everywhere. Um, so if you ever, you know, lose your ammo or something happens, it's, you're not going to be in a bind trying to get some factory 300 Win Mag ammo just to get the job done wherever you're hunting. Um, a couple really cool builds we recently did. We did a, we did a carbon lightweight, which this is going to be one of the calibers that we're going to offer in our Bantam build. Um, our Bantam build is a new stock style build. It's built off of the Manners Pro Hunter stock. Um, my, my eyebrows never really got raised off of any of the stocks after just running the chassis systems just because of how versatile they are. Um, but Manners did come out with, it's called their Pro Hunter. It's a really cool stock setup. It's actually got an integrated chassis in the stock. So again, it's very similar. No bedding required. It's a direct drop-in fit. Um, and it has an integrated Arca Swiss rail and an integrated pick rail. Um, so it's got the majority of the features of the chassis. It still doesn't have all the MLOC capability like the chassis does as far as connecting stuff on the forend. And it still does not have, obviously, a folding adapter and an adjustable cheek comb, which is a big deal. So you lose a little bit of that versatility out of, out of that manner that you would normally get running the chassis system. But for more of the traditional style guys, or even the guys that just want to switch it up and run a stock style build, um, we recently came out with that. So it's, it's the Bantam. We're going to offer it in a bunch of different calibers and, and colors. Um, it's going to become standard with a Lone Peak Razor Titanium Action, Hell's Canyon Carbon Barrel, three-port titanium MB&M brake, and some Hawkins Hunter DBM uh, bottom metal with a Hawkins detachable mag. And... Anything less than a 20-inch configuration in that will be right at the six-pound mark and under. Um, and then you'll creep over that by a few ounces every inch you add on top of that um, it, from there. But one really cool caliber we just did in that Bantam build, and we plan on doing a bunch more of, is a 375. Um, and that 375, was it a 22? 22-inch. 22 22-inch 375. Uh, yeah, 375 H&H. &H. It's, it's a beast. Um, but the dude we built it for has, how many rifles have you built uh, it? Seven or eight. 
and he's like, it's by far my favorite. He loves it. It's, it's not the flattest rig out there, but it's a beast. So if anybody needs a really badass bear gun, that 375 H&H and that Bantam is pretty cool. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty lightweight for a 375, but it's, it's a sweet system for sure. But um, the, the caliber thing, you could go down rabbit holes all day. Um, you know, it, it's guys out there, you know, like yourself, um, a couple of our other buddies that have ran six fives their whole life and killed shit time after time after time with the six fives. Then you got guys that have wounded stuff with six fives or wounded stuff with smaller calibers and they blame it on the caliber when they shouldn't have put it where they needed to. And they say you need something bigger, but I I always compare it to archery and broadheads and, and everything else. And it's the same shit, just a different pile. Um, when you talk about the rabbit holes and going down them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, there's, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's plenty of stuff out there that'll do the job. Um, we're just trying to, to do stuff for our customers and, and be innovative with what we're doing and, and get it to the point where it's a rifle, you know, like yours that you don't want to get a new rifle because you're like, dude, this thing works so good. And it kills everything that I pointed at that, you're a little bit like me and, and you're like, man, this thing's lucky. It's got some luck on it. I don't want to get rid of it. Um, there's a, I'm still running the same 300 WSM this year that probably I'll run for a while because it's a, it's a one hole gun. It's a 20 inch 300 WSM off of our apex chassis and it is absolutely lights out. So, it's, yeah. uh, and if I have you build me a different gun, it probably will be one with a little more, you know, ass behind it, you know, obviously going off of your recommendation, but, you know, looking, you know, shooting, um, like a 300 PRC, a, a fairly decent amount. The, the thing both with the six, five and the 300 is the factory ammo portion it. Cause I don't reload, um, nor do I ever want to reload and, and those two and you I think you brought that up a minute ago those two calibers seem to like factory ammo you know really well which is a big part of it for me oh 100 percent. yep for sure so no it's it's that that's definitely one one big factor and and there's there's so many different things out there to to get the job done for everybody and what I tell everybody is you can't really have one you know you got to have like 12 yeah. <laughs> so there's to, to be able to have all the calibers is hilarious because we uh, we work out of the same building here at, as uh, Aaron's main coatings company, WBS Coatings. So my brother, is, is uh, he runs the industrial side of the coatings company over here, and he's always peeking in, running around like a crackhead saying, Jerry, Jerry, I need a 22 Creed. Hey, Jerry, I need a 6 Creed. Hey, what's that? Picking up the Bantam build, dinging it, dropping it, looking at it, and then running out of the office, going on to his next task. But he came in this morning. What was he telling you this morning? Six Creed. He needs a six Creed. He, he's like, dude, I need a six Creed. It, it, right now he's running a six, five Grendel that we had built him, um, running a, a six, five, but, uh, he, th- you know, that's, that's what he's been killing a lot of the stuff with. Um, but he came in this morning and he's like, Hey, I need a new rig for this stuff. I need something that I can keep in my truck all lion season and just shoot the shit out of coyotes, shoot, you name it. And, uh, that six creed would be a, a pretty cool little round in that bantam build is what he's yeah. shooting for in like a 16 inch setup. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of the, the main, the main style of, of that rig. So, but 
What do you guys suggest for uh, so, so scope wise? What what are your what are the primary scopes that you guys throw on the rifles? What do you suggest? Um, obviously, that's kind of a broad question, but man, as far as scopes go, we use a pile of different scopes. Um, some things that we fall back on typically. Uh, the most that we're doing is Leupold Night Force, um, mainly Night Force, but a lot of Leupold also. Um, Night Force is phenomenal as far as durability, quality, clarity, but any of the Night Force stuff isn't going to put you in that lightweight category. Um, whereas, you know, some of the Leupolds, the like the VX6, the Mark, Mark 5s, um, the, the scopes that are going to put, put you down around that low 20-ounce range, 21, 22-ounce, um, that's going to complement something like the Roadrunner or the Bantam um, is, is something we're, we're using to where you can still maintain the durability, the quality, clarity, and then how the scope tracks. Um, there's a lot of scopes out there that don't track, especially after you beat them up over time and use them, and, and they just they don't want to follow along. Um, but that's uh, the, the Night Force, I would say our most popular scope is the NX-8. The Night Force NX-8, as far as price point, it's right around that $2,000 range. Um, they have them in 2.5 to 20 power and 4 to 32 power. Um, Jeremiah's favorite scope is, of course, the Night Force Attacker, which is heavier than heck. If, if you want to pack, pack around an extra couple pounds, um, it's well worth it. But he's used some of the same attackers for years and years. A long time. On and off of, because you can imagine as a gunsmith, that has access to do it where, whenever and however he wants. He goes through about 12 different rifles a year because he's like, dude, I'm going to build this one. And then, it, then, we, then we sell it. And then he's like, I'm going to build this one. Then we sell it. Um, so yeah, all sorts of builds, but those, the attacker is, is a monster for durability. Um, I love the, the Mark five, like the one you're running on your six, five. And obviously, like you said, I mean, that's a prime example of of killing shit with the six five and you throwing it in the back of the can am or throwing it in the back of the raptor or doing whatever you want with it and it's still zeroed and it's still tracked. Yeah, and I mean this so, isn't like I've got a, a buddy uh lives by me. He was a former SEAL, obviously big gun guy, and he sees my weapon maintenance and wants to fucking choke me every time he comes to the house and he we were in the back I got a, a Bronco Raptor and uh forgot I had thrown you know, Thor under the seat was not overly responsible. And it was in there probably for a month. And we were uh, loading up uh, to go on a backpacking trip and he was lifting, moving the seat. And he's like, hey, you fucking dummy, your gun's under the seat. I'm like, oh, my bad, you know, whatever. Moral of the story is it's like that for the last, what, four years you built that for me. Uh, bouncing around, sometimes in a case, sometimes not in a case. Sometimes I kind of strap yep. it with the seat belt in the back of the K&M semi, like gangster style, so we can get to it quickly. Just always has been on. Now, having said that, I don't use the ballistic turret. I just hold over, so I carry a lot of extra weight on that scope. Um, and I just got used to my holdover. Um, you know, and I'm not shooting super far out, but easily out to five, I have zero confidence issues out to five that, you know, I'm not holding over much with that caliber with the tracking though. And people that aren't gun guys don't really understand this. And I, and I do just seeing some of the testing, especially on the military side, they'll run a, a tracking system or a target system where they run 
a target way out and back multiple times. This is a very redneck way to explain it. And you're spinning that dial up and down and it'll change. Do you want to dive into where that gets screwed up? And that's one thing, a strong point for night force. They don't have those issues. Um, but you want to talk about how that works? Yeah. So I, I mean, as far as the tracking, Jerry, you want to kind of touch on the different. So basically what they're doing is, you know, doing a tracking test to make sure that each click maintains its value all the way out and then all the way back in. Um, you know, most of the scopes that we use are very good about that. Obviously the, the top end performer will be the night force. Um, night force checks all of their clicks, you know, each individual click with feeler gauges uh, to make sure that, you know, the turret body, <clears throat> the internal components of the scope, you know, maintain a true point of impact for each click all the way up, all the way down. Um, you know, so it just comes down to, you know, the precision of the manufacturing process um, when they put it together. Uh, that, you know, that's, and, and it is important, you know, if you do plan on taking long range shots, you know, to check um, your, your, do a tracking test basically you know, to make sure that your scope is actually tracking um, to its advertised, you know, quarter minute or, you know, tenth of a mil, you know, per click adjustment. Um, most of the time they're, they're true. Sometimes they're not. Um, you know, kind of one of those things you've got to be very careful with that and, you know, make sure you know what you're doing and have your equipment set up correctly. And a lot of the scopes out there, <clears throat> they'll track up. So, you know, if, if you're shooting 800 yards and you're clicking to whatever, 16 and a half minutes, they'll track up, but they won't track back. It'll take them a couple shots to fall back onto that dead zero. Um, so that's that's one thing, you know, why we enjoy Night Force and Leupold and, and some of the other stuff is they seem to track back. Um, and... and you know, everything can have failures and issues, but I mean, we've the last couple hundred night forces we went through, we haven't had a problem. No, and, I, I've, I've never had a night force fail. And know. I mean, we really haven't had a problem with loophole. No, no. But there is other scopes out there, um, you know, that guys call us immediately and they're like, hey man, you know, this rifle, X, Y, and Z, I can't figure out why it just all of a sudden fell off the pace. And 95% of the time it's their optic. Um, so that, that, you know, it's a huge part. It's when you build a, a long range custom style gun, um, definitely you want to put something on it that can complement that rifle and actually let it shoot to its capability. Sure. I mean, you know, I get a lot of, I get a lot of friends and buddies that, you know, give me crap about my 300 Norma Ackley, you know, they're like, why is it so heavy? And I'm like, well, because it has an attacker on it. You know, if I strap it to my backpack and then roll myself down the mountain, down the rocks, you know, I may be messed up, but the gun, you know, the scope won't be messed up. You know, so it's just kind of one of those things, you know, you kind of have to decide, you know, how far you're going to push the envelope with your optic. And, you know, for me personally, you know, the attacker is literally bomb proof. You know, you can drop it off a cliff. The scope's not going to lose zero. Yeah, you may shatter the glass out of it, but, you know, the scope won't change. And 
it's just a testament to the quality of the night force. Um, you know, the engineering that they have spent many, many years perfecting, um, you know, and that's the primary reason why, you know, most of our builds get night force. The, you know, the sacrifice is the weight. Um, you know, they, they are heavier than a lot of the other scopes out there, you know, so you kind of have to, you know, pick and choose, you know, on, on what side you're going to compromise on. But, you know, it's kind of one of those things. I mean, for me, you know, yeah, my gun is 12 pounds with my five to 25 attacker on there, but, you know, the gun shoots in, you know, the ones and the zeros all the time. And, you know, it gives me the confidence, you know, if I need to make a, a shot that I wouldn't tell my friends about, you know, I, I have the, the proper equipment and the reliability to make, to make that happen. So. And that's actually the scope that the attacker, that's the one I looked at if I was going to swap out, you know, for the loophole, it was, I think it was a four to 20 by 50. Um, uh, and I, th- I think it was about three grand. And I, I know like when people are first getting into this, that's a question I'll get because if you, you're full, let's say you're uh, apex, you know, with that scope, you're going to be what, probably eight grand total, seven grand. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Right around that range with the attacker, the, the apex is going to start around, uh, around the high fours and into the $5,000 range, depending on configuration. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, for, for me though, I mean, if you look at some comparable rifles, um, you know, that you're looking into the, you know, 12 to 14 range and I don't want to get like, I have people message me about this. I've had this gun and it's done, you know, I, I get that. But for me, like initially when you guys called me to build a rifle for me, I was kind of like, Hey, I don't really gun hunt that much, but that was also when I started guiding more to where now I would easily pay eight grand for the rifle you built me full price, not blink an eye, knowing now what I yeah. know, because I've beaten the holy ever living <laughs> shit out of it. It's never come off. Uh, you know, and when I say that, I mean, worst case, I guess when I finally blow the barrel out, I'll just have you guys rebuild it. But that's a lifetime weapon for me. And you do the math. If I have it 20 years, um, you know, divided by 8,000, it ends up not much each day. So. Oh, correct. And that's, that's another thing, you know, when we design these setups that we want to make it realistic for people to actually be able to purchase the rig. I mean, there's, there's rifle packages with the same components and same stuff out there with a different name on them that are, again, like you said, 12 or 13,000 bucks. So um, we want to make it realistic to the consumer and, and have it be something that they can, they can purchase and not have to sell a kidney for and utilize for, years and years. So, um, that's, you know, that's absolutely a big factor for us. Gotcha. So you, you had talked a little bit about, um, you know, a little bit off, but you do like Pelican cases or SKBs where you guys will do, when you say turnkey, but you'll have obviously the, the scope, everything's dialed, the loadout's done everything, but you'll do custom cases as well. Yeah, so we have laser cut cases that are cut specifically for either the stock model or the chassis model that we do. Um, you know, we can cut custom pockets or whatever. We have kind of our baseline configuration cut with, aside from obviously the rifle cutout, it's got cutouts for extra optic accessories, tools, ammo, a suppressor cutout, uh, extra magazines, things like that to where it's just a really nice system to keep everything organized within your case and I mean, as far as travel, it's a, 
it's a huge deal to again protect your investment when you're spending six or seven or eight thousand bucks that you know you can spend an extra 300 bucks to entirely protect your investment so that's something that we we push the majority of our gotcha so move moving away a little bit from from viking um let's talk about dillinger river and and what you guys got going on up there so man we uh we kind of got kicked in the nuts this year with having our sheep season shut down um we knew it was coming um and we wanted it to come, but we wanted it to be shut down entirely to residents and non-residents. Um, you know, some some typical political bullshit in Alaska happened, um, and they shut it down to non-residents, but left it completely wide open for residents. So um, we no longer have a sheep season, which sucks, but uh, we're still running full tilt on moose um, as far as our our area in the Alaska range. Um, this year, I believe we have 17 moose clients booked and a handful of those are moose grizzly combos, moose caribou combos. And we're planning on trying to kill as many uh, black bears and wolves and stuff as we can while we're up there. Um, as far as having the customers get, get a little bit of a, an, an add on when they can whack a black bear or uh, whack a wolf. Um, as far as, Another area that we have off the coast of Icy Bay, we're doing brown bear and mountain goat hunts. Um, it's something that we recently acquired in the in the last couple of years, uh, but it's a it's a really cool setup. We killed some booner bears last year, some booner mountain goats, um, and it's just it's a really cool hunt. It's a it's a different style. It's not something where you're gonna go grind you know 10 miles a day on foot. It's a little bit more even killed style. Um, but I mean, killing big, big bears and big billies. And last year we killed 18 moose in Alaska at, at our, you know, in the Alaska range. And we averaged 66 inches on those bulls. So it was our best year yet for size. We've, we've pretty much dang near been a hundred percent for the last four years, given a couple guys wounded and, you know, we had a couple guys have to leave within the first couple of days if they had something come up but it's our, our moose is it's it's a phenomenal experience if anybody's i mean looking to come kill a giant moose where we're pretty much booked throughout through 2025 i think before this i asked rose if we had anything available and he said he believes we have one spot if not possibly two spots in 2025 available but other than that we're we're pretty well slammed and we do have cancellation opportunities you know so if anybody's really interested keep an eye out but it's uh it's something that we're we're hoping to expand on um i mean we just we have access now to another half million acres to hunt i mean and yeah i said a half million so it's we got a pile of area to hunt so and the pile of moose to kill and and if we can access some of these areas you know with the cubs and, and argos and stuff like that it's some areas that have never been hunted and even where we're at in the lodge i say argo and it makes people think you know you can get to it easily the argos were airdropped in there um i'm we're, we're so far from anything that obviously you couldn't drive the thing in so everything was airdropped and uh DeRose plans on getting some more some more argos dumped in there and um try and make some more strips and open up some more some more moose area so 
Yeah, I got to say my first experience in an Argo was in uh, the NWT and they are impressive uh, where they can go. I, they are, uh, you know, can be a maintenance nightmare um, as well, but those things oh. will go anywhere. Yep, definitely. And that's, you know, that's, that's one huge thing that um, derives with, with having the other companies aside, obviously from Dillinger. Um, Dillinger is, is he, he created Dillinger to have, allow friends and family and us as guides and everybody to go up there and enjoy it and, and have a getaway. Um, so it's, you know, as, as far as the money thing, it's not as big of a factor as it may be to some outfitters that do it full time. Um, so, you know, like you said on the, on the Argo maintenance thing is, you know, we've broken a pile of chains and through tracks and, and it is a maintenance nightmare. But one thing he does every year is if he doesn't replace the Argo itself entirely is replace all the parts. We go up there, we've got guys flying up there actually tomorrow, um, got a whole group of guys flying up there to start gearing up the whole month of August, they'll just be gearing up, clearing trail, making sure the Argos are super dialed in, changing the chains, changing the belts, making sure everything is as maintenance and perfect as it can. And Justin, one of our main dudes up there, he is, he used to be a full-time mechanic for Polaris. Um, I mean, that's, that's what he did. So Duros specifically got him up there to where we could actually have a professional mechanic on hand to be able to, maintenance everything for us um we've got some polaris rangers up there that he maintenances um john deere tractor the range or the argos you know all sorts of stuff to to be able to make it easier and more efficient for for our clients so it's definitely something that is kind of a logistical nightmare with how far we are but aaron uh, definitely makes it work yeah and i i uh you know, those type of hunts, obviously, you know, they're a lot of money and they're a lot of money everywhere. Like, uh, we just bought, uh, Kafaro bought an outfit in, in BC and I, you know, looking yeah. at the prices, I haven't, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I haven't seen, I haven't fucked around since COVID to even look at different hunts for a few years. So I was like, yeah. holy shit, like goat hunts now are 20 to 40 grand, depending upon where you go. Um, you know, I, I, I'm going up now and stone hunts are 85. I mean, it's just the economy and price of doing business. And, and I didn't realize, like, you don't realize why they are as much as they are till you're there and figure out the logistical nightmare of, you know, whether it be Avgas, right. Getting food in there, getting, you know, whatever. I mean, it's the more remote you are, the more expensive it is. Cause it's an epic pain in the fucking ass to, to function and give somebody a good hunt. A hundred percent. So, and yeah, that's, I mean, that's something that we, we strive to just make the overall experience as good as it possibly can be. So, because if somebody is, is paying that money and they're taking that time and uh, I mean, our, our moose combo hunts are 41,000 bucks. So, I mean, it's not, people are spending the money. So, Oh uh, yeah. We want it. And they're booked. If you're booked out to 2025, you're not having a problem selling them. So. Correct. So, and yeah, that leads me to uh, kind of throwing in one thing. Um, obviously, you know, we're kind of teaming up with you guys at the Western Hunt Expo. Um, I've been talking with Anders and Kenneth and, and uh, obviously the guys over at, at Bourne and then with Suts and Dillinger and we're planning on doing a big giveaway um, at the Western Hunt Expo. So 
in uh, obviously 24, I believe. I think the Hunt Expo is like February 15th, I think. Um, but yeah, keep an eye out for it. It's something that we're going to put together to where it'll be, I mean, pretty solid gear package and a hunt package. So. Yeah, I think right now it'll be, um, you know, we're going to pitch in quite a bit of Kafaru, Born Primitive, uh, you know, obviously you, Viking, uh, Dylan, I mean, it'll, I'm kind of curious how it goes because it's, I don't, um, you know, total price of that thing's going to be, I mean, it's going to be pretty hard. Yeah, crazy. So, which, you know, it'll be cool. Um, you know, you always hope when somebody wins one of those, it's somebody that realizes what they, what they're getting and how fortunate they are. Cause, um, the shit's expensive, right? It's, uh, it, you know, when I say expensive, like we were just talking about, it's expensive to go on one of those hunts. And sometimes this is the only chance somebody has to, to go on one of these. So I, I, I truly hope whoever wins it is, is some poor bastard. That's a really cool dude or chick, uh, that Absolutely. gets to go and not some really wealthy dude. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I agree a hundred percent. So, and that leads me to one more thing, um, as far as, anything in, involved with that sort of stuff. Um, I just wanted to throw out a discount code um, on Viking for anybody listening to this podcast. Um, we'll run this for a couple months after the podcast drops. Um, it'll just be Kafaru 10, uh, 10% discount code off of an entire cart. Um, I mean, as much as you can do, whatever you want to purchase, um, you know, and as far as, again, one of those complete $8,000 builds or so can definitely it can save you some pretty solid coins. So anybody uh, listening to this, Kafaru 10 is the discount code. Cool. And uh, I'll have Jerry make sure and, you know, put that um, out on the, on the post as well. So, well, I appreciate, I appreciate you doing the podcast and obviously the support for, uh, you know, Kafaru and everything (laughs) else. At some point in time, I'll have to get up there and hunt with you guys when, when my schedule calms down. Um, I just like being up there. So yeah, it's just cool to hang. I I would go up there and just hang out. So, (laughs) We need to have you come stick one with the with the longbow. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen now. I I need to. I'm really needing to book a a bear hunt, a brown bear hunt with you guys. I want to shoot one with the the bow for sure. Um, yep. But yeah, that's kind of the last animal for me that I I haven't killed that I'm really wanting to. So at some point, I'm going to have to do that. Well, let's yeah, let's 100 make it happen. Um, what else? Uh, what else you got this year for hunts? Um, so I'm, I'm helping out on a few, um, stone sheep and goat hunts and chilling up there with Bart and then hunting a mountain goat myself, uh, and then mule deer after that. And then elk, um, and, uh, with South that hunt we do every year in Colorado. And then I've got, um, helping a buddy with a moose hunt and then, uh, doing, um, I think British Columbia elk and mule deer, British Columbia moose, Alberta mule deer. Uh, I'm coming back to help out on a sheep hunt. Um, I think I'm forgetting some. Oh, uh, South Dakota mule deer and antelope, and then uh, and then whitetail after that. Uh, so yeah, I'm probably going to be divorced by the time I get back, but it'll be fun. <laughs> hey, it's the typical rigmarole of this time of year. Yeah, no, Amy's cool. She's she's used to it. So I don't know if I uh, if I get any more bills from the pool boy. I know I'm fucked because I don't have a pool. So yeah. Yeah, no shit. That's hilarious. That's how, uh, you know, we're pretty fortunate, our group between all the girls. If they're, if the girls aren't there killing shit themselves, they're, they, they definitely don't mind us doing it. They're cheering us on every, every bit of the way, but we've definitely got a pile of tags and see what we can make happen. 
For sure. Well, right on. Well, yeah, let's touch base after, uh, obviously, after season, see how everything, you know, went. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to the Western Hunt Expo, uh, you know, having all the booze together, the giveaway and everything else. It'll be cool. So thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I appreciate appreciate it, man. And uh, I'll let you know I I have a big box of uh, Born Primitive showing up actually today. So I'm super stoked to try it. Cool, cool. Right on. Sounds good. Well, you guys take it easy. Okay, dude. Have a good day. Thanks, Thanks, Aaron. Yep, thank you.